0: Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today we're joined by the wonderful filmmaker R.J. Cutler to talk all about his documentary, Billie Eilish, The World's a Little Blurry. And I wanted to start by talking about the the genesis and that first meeting that you had with Billie and her entire family, where you went and sat down with them all in the backyard of, of that house that we see throughout the film. Um, and there's something really interesting that you said in that. For you as a documentarian that you don't necessarily need to know why someone wants to have their story told that it's just important to know that they're open to having their story told um and i was really interested because that really comes across in this that the family was very open to the collaboration and the process with you and the rest of your team um, and i was interested from the experience on your last films that point where you had that realization that you don't necessarily need to know the why you just need to know the yes
1: it's, it's such a great question so thank you for asking it because it really for me it goes it goes back to the beginning of of learning how to do this um but i i i will say that um i, I think on some level one of the most basic human desires is to have your story told. Um, you know we're we're here. We're as 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 I think Billy's father Patrick would would have us acknowledge we're 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 here for but a moment. You know we are a, uh, we're dust in the wind. And uh, and and if we can leave a little you know a little uh, mark behind, we we are we're all grateful for the opportunity. Um, it doesn't mean that it's always the right time. Or that we're open necessarily to to, 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 you know any number of specific ways of having our story told, but it is a very human thing. And indeed, when someone feels like it is the right time or it it is the right process, uh, that is the moment to to make a film like this because it's a big commitment. It's a big. It's not you know I'm making a big commitment. They're making a big commitment. We're entering into a. Um, a relationship together. We, we hope that that relationship will work out and that everybody will, will feel good about carrying on every step of the way. Um, like any relationship, that's, you know, it's built on trust and that is fundamental to it. Um, when I first started making documentaries, the first film I produced was called The War Room. It was directed by D.A. Pennebaker and Chris Hedges. And at that time, of course, Penny and Chris were great legends in the in the uh, documentary field. Penny was was one of the pioneers of cinema verite, and and um, we were uh, the film was about the two men who were running uh, Bill Clinton's first campaign for the presidency in 1992, George Stephanopoulos and James Carville, and um, uh, we had filmed with them for a few days. We I was able to get us access to to film with them for a few days, but. But um, during those few days, we really were trying to get a hold of Bill Clinton. And then when we went back and looked at the dailies, we saw these, you know, this kind of matinee idol, George Stephanopoulos. He was 32 years old at the time, brilliant, young, nobody had ever seen him before. And then this kind of wild Cajun, James Carville, who was... uh, uh, um, you know, Penny referred to him as the drunken uncle who won't leave the party. It, it, we, you know, he just seemed to be—he loved the camera for sure. But he, we couldn't tell what, you know, how it would play. And then we looked at the dailies, and and Penny was the first to say, "There, there's a movie star. Let's make him. Let's make a movie about the two of them." And um, and so we went down to Little Rock to meet with James and to talk to him. And one of the things that he said to us at the critical moment after we sat and got to know each other a little bit was, uh, why on earth would I do this? you know I'm here I am after a lifetime I think he was well into his 40s maybe he was 48 years old at the time and and he 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 said I've spent my entire life trying to get to the point where I'm at now to have the opportunity to get um, have a man elected president and and uh, and and I think we're going to do it and and but I can't take my eye off the ball. I can't be distracted thinking if I if I cuss on camera my mom is going to be mad at me you know I I gotta I I, I got a lot out of my mind and so why why do you think I should do this and um and I of course was a, a novice at this and was sitting there ready to ready to sing and dance and pitch and sell and persuade James and convince him the, the, the importance of doing this for history and all these things and and um but of course I deferred to penny uh, um and there was a long pause and uh penny said um you know what James that's up to you that's I can tell you why I want to do it. And he did. He talked about his life's work, uh, telling the stories of people who care a tremendous amount about what they do and who are doing it under high stakes circumstances and, and, and the importance of that to him and, and, and why it was so meaningful. But he said, I can't answer the question for you. That's your own business. And I thought to myself, what an awful response. My goodness, the man's giving you a chance to close the deal, close the deal. But in fact, he was closing the deal because he was pointing out to James that, um, that this is a this is about a, a, a decision that James has to make to, to have his story told in that moment, in that period of time. And we went back to the hotel. James said, well, let me think about it. And we went back to the hotel. And it was about five in the afternoon, and uh, we sat there for an hour or two or three. It seemed like months to me, waiting, waiting to hopefully the, for the phone to ring with some sort of response to the uh, to 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 the moment. And um, and and after a couple of hours, the phone did ring, and it was James. And he said, "Well, come on down. We're, we're working tonight." Uh, uh come and film we'll be in the war room and we never we never stopped filming that was that the movie was being made he had made the decision i can't tell you what he uh what he uh why he decided what he decided um but he did make the decision and and i have kept that lesson in mind and taken it to heart uh ever since
0: and you're bringing up there the the stylistic approach of cinema verite, which is very much the approach of this film as well. Um, but it's interesting because that can mean more than one thing. Some of it is the way that you collaborated with your cinematographer, Jenna Rosher in terms of the performance footage at concerts, where it's not necessarily about getting the coverage of every angle. It's about the relationship with Billy on stage, the relationship that she has with her fans, that way that you bring us into the connectivity. And then in the other aspect, it's, it's not just following her around capturing moments, it's about having that level of comfort and intimacy with her and with her family where they're not necessarily talking to the camera, but they're talking to Jenna, they're talking to you on the other side of the camera. And because the camera's there, we're getting to observe what that conversation is on screen. Um, And so how did you and Jenna really work on creating those two facets of of that very verite feel throughout the film where, you know, we get such an essence of the comfort that not just Billy has, but her entire family with the presence of it all
1: well well the, the 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 i knew the minute i met billy that the only way to make this film for me would be to make a a, a verite film in the in the in the tradition of a film like don't look back which was pennebaker's film about bob dylan and that he shot i think in 1965 66 and came out in 67. uh i i just wanted the camera to be there i wanted us to be there i wanted you the viewer to be there and i wanted us to be with billy and phineas and maggie and patrick as the year unfolded that was it that was my entire pitch to them i said i I, that's that's what I said as we sat in the backyard. We talked about other things. We, but 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 in terms of what my approach would be, that was the description. And so everything that you see is a byproduct of that. Uh, the camera is present. Uh, we are present. You know, I I people try to talk about us as as flies on the wall and we you know I I tend to I understand why they talk about us as flies on the wall, but that's not what we are we're people in a room and we're people in a room in a in a, 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 a relationship with our subjects and it's a trusting relationship and it's a relationship that is such that they are as comfortable being themselves as they are with anyone with whom they're fully comfortable being themselves. And, they, and that's what it is. And as a result, because they're comfortable being themselves with us, we can film their lives and we've earned their trust. And so that's what you see. If they talk to us, we're in a conversation. If they don't talk to us, we're filming what else is going on in their world and their lives. Uh, billy's very comfortable in that situation because she's comfortable really her whole life being surrounded by lots of people it's a it's a you know and she's also of course comfortable being on camera she's digital native she's been filmed since she's a child you know just kind of you know the whole movie environment so so it, it fit it was a very natural fit and jenna of course is one of the great. Uh, Cinema Verite uh, uh, DPs, and so it was very. Uh, uh, it was the right approach for her. She was the right DP for the for the job. And uh, Jay uh, Kim, who took the sound, is also one of the great sound recordists. And and you need people like that who understand that you are in that kind of a trusting relationship with your subject. That's the. Um, Uh, that's really fundamental to all that you're doing. In terms of the music, I again looked back to the the classic films of cinema verite, not just Don't Look Back, but a film like The Last Waltz, which isn't even a verite film, but it's a classic film to be, to capture not the, you know, you see so many, concert films now and it's really all about the technology it's all about the techno crane and the swooping shots and the there's all sorts of things that that aren't about the human being in the moment and i wanted billy in the moment i wanted it uh, a gimme shelter was is a, which is a classic vérité film about the rolling stones at altamont made by the mazel brothers that's a uh uh that that performance footage was what we look to for this. And it was it was character driven, most of all. And this was my direction to Jenna. You know, it was interesting because the first couple of shows we did, she was she was doing coverage. She was making sure she got things that an editor could cut. And I told her that I I said, don't 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 worry about it. That's not what we're here to do. We're here to tell a story about Billy. Be in the moment with Billy and connect with Billy. And tell the story of what she's going through in this moment, performing this song, and um, you know the results are—it's—it's—it's it's, it's as intimate performance footage I think as you—you—you'll you, ever see, and it's very powerful as a result.
0: One of the things that I thought was so powerful and and really loved about the film is what it conveys about creative process and what it means to be an artist and those moments where you see all of the work that goes into it, the work ethic that's required, yeah. um, but also you know, you capture those instances of the pressure and the external forces coming in, but we also get to see the intimacy of the pressure that Billy puts on herself because she strives and works so hard on everything that she does, um, you know, and is always kind of fighting for perfection for her audience, for her fans. And so those moments where it falls short, what that feels like, like the performance where she injures herself at the beginning, and comes off stage, not because she's having a tantrum, but because the idea of giving the performance that isn't what she wanted for the audience is what emotionally hits her. And I was really interested about the discovery of that side of her and and finding those really key moments that would capture you know, and really bring us inside to that emotion for her in the film.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure that anyone really achieves greatness without tremendous work. Uh, that's one of the themes of, uh, of, of the War Room, and, and in fact, the War Room, one of the closing scenes of the War Room is, is, is James Carville addressing the uh, campaign staff on election night and, 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 and quoting the golfer, Greg Norman, who says, uh, golf is a game of luck. The harder I work, the luckier I get. I, I think that's true of, of 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 anyone who aspires to greatness and who achieves it. And that is Billy is aspiring to greatness. There's there's no question. Uh, certainly, she and Phineas have been given incredible talent uh, They that came from the heavens. They uh, um, there's, you know, there's something going on in that house, but there's something going on in the, you know, in the house where they gestated, you know, Maggie is uh Is, is, has, has, and Patrick have given them this, this genetic makeup and then they've nurtured them in such a way that they could thrive. But the two of them, you know, there's a 10,000 hour sign in Phineas's, it was in Phineas's bedroom, now it's in his house. And, uh, and that's a reference to, of course, Malcolm Gladwell's, uh, um, uh, a series of essays about um, about the fact that that if you put ten thousand hours into into something, that those who have achieved greatness, likely, you know, he uh, Malcolm references the the Beatles in Hamburg, the fact that they played night after night after night after night. They didn't just arrive. The Beatles, they 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 worked at Bill Gates spent his whole teenage life coding 10,000 hours and Malcolm puts a number on it. And so too does Phineas. You don't just become Phineas, you know, you don't just become the greatest producer of pop music on the planet. You know, and it's not just because your sister's Billie Eilish. You got to work at it. You got to find your way there. Billie talks in the film about how challenging music writing is for her. And you can understand why she's writing from her own soul. She's writing from her heart. She's writing from her guts. She's feeling the, the, you know, empathically feeling what it's like for her entire generation to be experiencing the world at this moment. And so so creating the art that it takes that that she creates is difficult, challenging and painful. And of course, she lives in the next bedroom to the best, as they say, one of the best songwriters, one of the best producers uh, around who's had an additional four years to develop his skills. So she hates it. Well, if you asked her today, she'd say, I don't hate it anymore because she's been working another few years at it and now she's feeling pretty good. She loves it. She loves sitting down and writing. So, and that's because she's put the time in and that's what you see. So you ask, when did I discover it? You know, be pretty much the the minute I met her. it, it, uh, it, It didn't matter that it was challenging. And in the film, you see that scene in the kitchen where she says, I hate writing, and, and uh, um, Maggie says, so for your next album, you, you, you're not going to write any of your own songs, and Billy says, I'm never going to do another album, she's so, you know, and who among us hasn't felt that way, I, I can't tell you how, every movie I've, I've ever made, I've been in the edit room at some point, thought, oh man, this like, I'm never going to go through this, you know, it's tough, it's challenging, it rips your guts out if you pour your heart and soul into it. Um, but in the very next scene, you see Billy sitting down and writing the final song of the album, which is a gut-wrenching song about the contemplation of, of um, uh, um, suicide. and uh, uh, it's it, it, And it's a, a masterpiece of a song that she writes, in the next moment, having told us that she can't stand writing. So these are, you know, as we say, many things. One of the beauties of cinema verite is that it, it underscores the fact that many things are true at once. It's not, you know. This is why I'm. I'm not. I don't like it when people get on camera and sit in a chair and tell you what's what a thing means or who a person is. I like it when we can see all the complexities, all the conflicts and contradictions that someone is. As 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 I like to say, I don't remember any sit down interviews in either or any of the three. Uh, um, uh, version uh you know films of the godfather godfather one two and three they didn't have any interviews i don't know why our films necessarily should so
0: yeah i think that's a really wonderful point and you also get that real intimacy of the creative process with some of the footage that the family had with the gopro that they had set up when the two of them are songwriting and 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 using footage from other other places that that subjects may have filmed themselves is something that i'll take it from anywhere I would-
1: man i will take it from anywhere why not Thank God it's there. You know, this is a whole new moment in in the Verite movement. You know, Penny didn't have Bob Dylan didn't have an iPhone 13 plus in his pocket to film when Penny wasn't there. You know, but we but we do. Maggie Maggie does, and thank goodness she does. And Billy does, and thank goodness she does. And we're we're del- honored honored to to be able to use that footage. There's a lot of very you know after she meets uh Justin Bieber and and that we're in the car with her but back in the hotel room later at night when Justin texts her and she reads that text to her family um and it's very very emotional and very revealing we're not there Maggie's got her iPhone on and and thank goodness because uh because the access that provides us you know the key is they trust us the key is Maggie called me the next day and or two days later and said, you know, I've got some footage from that night. If you want to if you want to see it. And of course, I did. That's the important part. Uh, it, it, it and of course, the key is that we've established this relationship and that Jenna has laid the foundation and all of those things. But to have access to the subjects footage, I think, is a um, uh, it's an extraordinary gift.
0: And when it comes to the dynamic that we see with her parents on screen, it's really beautiful because we see the supportiveness, but we also see the day-to-day parenting. The film does such a great job at capturing this really kind of pivotal arc in Billy's life at that moment where her career's taking on a completely different trajectory, but also her life is you know it's like she's turning 18 she's just passed her learner's permit test now she's getting a car and she's going out in a car for the first time and she's her has got about it yeah she's got a
1: bad boyfriend he's like dad's like he never it, it, he's he's not going to hurt you right you know when she talks yeah. about the fact that he punched a wall mm-hmm. you know he's, the dad you got that you've got you've got driving don't don't pull up on the median when you get confused. Calm down, put your blinker on, go to the next. You know, it's all a metaphor, right? It's all a metaphor. I I, I like to point out that 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 we parents all think our children are Billy Eilish because they are. They're all magical mysteries becoming, I, I, we, I hope anyway, I think we all hope, becoming their truest selves, achieving their greatest potential, discovering who they are, experiencing the world for the first time. But Jesus, we don't want to let go of them, you know? And that's this movie. This movie is really, uh, you, you can understand this movie as we did when we created it to some degree as the story of two parents who are moments away from losing their baby daughter to the world. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good way of describing this film and that's what you see. And then you see them lose their baby girl to the world and they have to and and you see what they all go through. And it's so common, it's so it's so fundamental, it's so true this story that we're telling. It's so I think universal that really the entire journey of the movie is is just to the point where Billy can be in a car in the final scene on the day that she and her brother have been nominated for 11 Grammys. And she's talking about the fact that she had a donut last night and she's in the car with her pooch doggie, and, and and it's raining outside and she doesn't look so bad. She looks pretty good. She's pretty and life is good. And that's the conclude. That's really the conclusion of the movie. A teenage girl has gone through all of this and life is good. And it, it, it's not it doesn't require more than that. That's the triumph of the film. The triumph of the film is not that she, w- she wins 11 Grammys. It's amazing. That's kind of what Hitchcock would call the MacGuffin. But the real story is she gets to the point where she can say life is good. And that's why you feel for her. That's why the film is emotional. That's why it's true. Um, and then her childhood crush comes down from the heavens, calls her and says, you done good. Maybe next year I can be like you, you know, and win a Grammy or two.
0: When it comes to the editing in the film, what's great is it never feels like the editing is there to kind of not show us certain things or to take us on a certain emotional trajectory. You really use those moments where you're editing together footage from different instances to enhance what you're showing us on screen. So if we're seeing her performing on stage, we're then seeing, you know, what was happening backstage right before? What was the work that she was doing to put into this moment? What's going on in her personal life in the background of this performance? Because that feeds into our understanding of everything that she's conveying on stage with her artistry. Um, and so I was interested in, in how you worked to kind of put together the footage in such a specific way where you also even end up with scenes where the dialogue can be stripped away and we don't know what's being said, but because of the context of everything that you've shown us, we don't need it in a lot of instances as well.
1: Yeah, this was a really great editorial experience because I uh, uh, there were so many reasons why, um, but one of them is that I was working with these two... Incredibly brilliant editors, uh, masters really. Uh, uh, Greg Fenton, who I've collaborated with many, many times in the last twenty years, and uh, and Lindsay Utes, who I had never collaborated with at all. And the the dynamic of the three of us, it really worked. We we because we could, you know, when they are just two of you, you kind of can convince yourself that something's working, or if between the two of you, you can't quite figure it out, you you you. You, you can look the other way when there are three of you. Somehow that doesn't fly. Somehow somebody's going to say, "You know what, guys? That kind of that scene, we're not. I'm not in. I'm not feeling it. I'm not inside her head. I'm not. I'm bored." this isn't quite working, that scene doesn't work. And, you know, you tend to, you can gang up on each other. So if there are two of you who feel that way, the third, you know, and it's the, the triangular nature of that creative dynamic was in this case, incredibly fruitful for us. Um, and, uh, you know, my experience, there are two, um, there are two kind of broad buckets of, the, of a post experience. Sometimes you're building up, you have some key scenes and you're building a movie around them, and sometimes you're boiling down. You've got a ton of, and this one's much rarer, you've got a a ton of great material and you're just reducing, reducing, reducing. I compare it to, uh, uh, you know, when they teach you how to cook, one of the things they teach you how to do are sauces. And sauces are all about reduction, 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 getting it down to the essence of the taste. And that's what this film was. Our first cut was 25 hours long. Uh, we, it was an assembly of all of the scenes that we thought were great. That's a lot of hours to work with. You know, that's a lot of great. It's, it's challenging, because it's tough to get from 25 hours to two hours and 20 minutes. But that was the process. The structure of those 25 hours wasn't a whole lot different than the structure of the final film. Some pieces, key pieces, two or three key pieces moved around and made the film what it is. Putting that section about her family history at the beginning, as opposed to where it lived for most of the edit process, which was at the very end in the closing credits, made a huge difference. Um, There were other things that moving around made a huge difference. But other than that, it was all about reducing, reducing, reducing and cutting the cutting the scenes out that didn't belong. And um, that's how we got to what you described, which seems kind of inevitable. It seems like, well, why wouldn't you, of course you would put that before that, before that, before that. And of course you would have exactly that amount and you would see this, this very organic uh, uh, narrative, but, um, but believe me, it, it, it it's, it's, it's a lot of a lot of time. I mean, we cut for 14 months and um, and and used every minute for sure.
0: I mean, speaking of, of pivotal moments, there's the moment towards the end of the film where Billy has her notebook where she writes a lot of her lyrics and then she opens up and and shares a whole deeper side to that and a lot of what yeah. she's been going through personally, yeah. emotionally in the past. Um, And that was something that she revealed later in the filming process because of that relationship that she'd built with you and Jenna and the rest of the team. And so because of kind of where it came out in terms of your relationship with her and that trust with her, was it always something that you knew that that made more sense towards the end of the film? Because it also fits into the audience relationship with her and and the way that we receive that information, seeing everything that she goes through, seeing the way that she creates, seeing the way that she communicates her art to
1: the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you're, you're right. It did. Ha- it, 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 she was willing to show us the back pages. You know, she shows us the book in the very first scene. When you first see her and Phineas in the bedroom, we see the book. But she doesn't reveal the hidden secrets of the book. And then very significantly, the wall in her bedroom until the end of the film. And, and that's how the process went. That's how our relationship developed. Um, Because our relationship developed that way. It felt very natural for that material to be towards the end because your relationship as a viewer is developing in that way. She's also in the healing process. So to look back and to reveal now the things, the core things that she's healing from, it's not a surprise that she was in this pain. As a, as a younger, as a 14-year-old, as a 15-year-old, because you've seen her write songs about it, but to be specifically shown what she was going through in those moments, to be specifically shown that wall that she basically was carving her, 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 her agony, her pain into, um, it, it, that is something she, it seemed truthfully, she could only reveal at this later point in her life. And that's why it lives where it lives in the film. And um, and it answers a question that we've been asking all along. You know, what what is it that she that for her specifically that has allowed her to feel this universal um, these universal feelings that lead to the the music that she's written? Um, and it's really quite, it's so fascinating to me because if you watch this film and then listen to the album she released this year, Happier Than Ever, you see all the moments really that lead to those songs. There's so, so many of those songs are about her relationship with Q. So many of those songs are about her relationship, about her relationship with herself. So many of those songs are about her finding, you know, she's happier than ever. She doesn't say she's happy, but she says she's happier than ever. She's on, you know, she recognizes that she's on a journey. And so and you see that journey in the film. Of course, you see her literally write two of those songs in the film. Uh, the, the, the uh, you know, the Bond songs she writes in the film. That's not on Happier Than Ever, but of course, she's released it now. And Happier Than Ever, you see her write. You see her and Phineas in the bed writing that song, you uh, So you 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 recognize Billy as the kind of you know personal artist documenting her own life when you listen to happier than ever. And I, I find that very powerful. Yeah.
0: Well, I think it's a really incredible film and, and piece of filmmaking because it, it does that really wonderful thing and finds that special place where for people who already know so much about her and are incredibly huge fans of hers, it brings them further into the world. And then it also brings people who maybe don't know as much or have heard a couple of songs so deep into this world as well with the way that you've captured all of this intimacy and the emotion and, and what it means to be creative. Um, so congratulations on everything with the film and thank you so much, RJ.
1: Thank you. What a terrific interview. I really appreciate a uh, uh, great talking about all of these things.